Welcome to the Revelation Podcast by Open Bible Baptist Church. We're so glad you've chosen to spend the next hour with us. In today's episode, Dr. Neil Swatsky talks about heaven. What will it be like? Who will be there? And how do we get there? To learn more about Open Bible Baptist Church, visit openbible.ca. And now, here is Dr. Neil Sawatsky. We want to be welcoming you tonight and uh, want to focus tonight on the things about heaven. Now, it's obvious we're not going to be able to cover everything that there is in the Bible about heaven, but I want us to talk about some things that we do notice about heaven. Last Sunday night, we talked about heaven and the very entrance into it. And we saw a throne, and we saw some creatures, and we saw some very interesting things in the fourth chapter. But uh, tonight we uh, head over to another chapter to just look at some very significant things that we will find in heaven. Uh, in 1953, about a week before his death, Harry Rimmer, a scientist and a, a theologian, shared his unique perspective about the city of gold in a letter to the Bible teacher, Charles Fuller. He had learned from listening to the radio that Charles Fuller was going to preach about heaven in his next series of messages. And so he wrote this following letter, just a note to Dr. Fuller, and he said, next Sunday, you are to talk about heaven. I am interested in that land because I have held a clear title to a bit of property there for more than 55 years. I did not buy it. It was given to me without money and without price, but the donor purchased it for me at a tremendous sacrifice. I am not holding it for speculation since the title is not transferable. It is not a vacant lot. For more than half a century, I've been sending materials out of which the great architect and builder of the universe has been building a home for me, a home which will never be remodeled nor repaired because it will suit me perfectly, individually, and will never grow old. Termites can never undermine its foundations, for they rest upon the rock of ages. Fire cannot destroy it. Floods cannot wash it away. No locks nor bolts will ever be placed on its doors, for no vicious person can ever enter that land where my dwelling stands. Now almost completed and almost ready for me to enter in and abide in peace eternally without fear of being ejected. There's a valley of deep shadows between the place where I live in California and that to which I shall journey in a very short time. I cannot reach my home in that city of gold without passing through this dark valley of shadows. But I am not afraid because the best friend I ever had went through the same valley long, long ago and drove away all its gloom. He, was, he has stuck by me through thick and thin since we first became acquainted 55 years ago, and I hold his promise in printed form that he will never forsake me nor leave me alone. He'll be with me as I walk through the valley of the shadows and I shall not lose my way when he is with me. And that just a tremendous letter and uh, must have already sensed that he was just stepping towards heaven's door. Uh, you know, there's something about a believer. There's something about a Christian. There's something about someone who knows Jesus Christ. 
and you have this absolute certainty that heaven is yours. There's a certain comfort about that. There's a certain blessing about that. And uh, sometimes you just, you just get excited about the fact that heaven is the next step for many of us. And uh, what, a tremendous, what a tremendous thing that is. A songwriter wrote this little thing that we sang years and years ago with kids and with youth. Heaven is a beautiful place filled with glory and grace. I want to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a beautiful place. Well, everything we see in the Bible, there is absolutely nothing in this world that can compare with what heaven will be like. And uh, there's, there's lots more to come in the book of the Revelation. We come towards the end of it, which is way down, far down the path. We'll have a far greater description of what heaven is like. But, but for tonight, I want us to go to the fifth chapter. And I would like you to join me in the reading of Revelation chapter 5 as we begin to read at verse number 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to look upon the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four twin elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven, and on the earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power, be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. 
as we think about this marvelous chapter, I want us to think of some of the things that we will discover to be true in heaven. And the first thing is that there are some books up there. Uh, it's just amazing that uh, we have this hope that one day there will be absolute and complete justice without any inequity, without any injustices whatsoever. And in order to have that, there has to be someone that has an absolute memory without any failure or someone who has recorded everything without any missing elements to it but the books will be there. So the first thing that I notice in this portion of scripture tonight is that heaven has some books in it. And the first one we notice here is called the book of life. Uh, the Bible talks about the book of life. And I want you just to think about that with me just a few moments, because I think to know and understand the book of life is a very important part of the prophetic word of that which is yet to come in the future days. We have the book of life recorded for us in Revelation chapter 3, verse number 5. And this is a very interesting verse, and I want you just to have a look at it. For it is here that we read, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name, out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. I wonder if you recollect the time when Moses actually requested that if God did not forgive Israel, that his name would be blotted out of God's book. Well, God was not going to blot Moses' name out of his book. And God is not going to blot out the name of any of his children ever. I think this is one of the great things about the book of life. If your name has been written in that book, it wasn't written with lead pencil. With lead pencil, you can erase. But it was written in blood. And as that blood dried on the pages of this wonderful book, that blood stain is there. And so when the Lord God looks into the book of life and he sees your name with the blood of the lamb written in the lamb's book of life, you'll be able to look back and say, wow, I was kept. He kept me and I made it here. What a wonderful thing it is. So the, the secret, of course, is to have your name in the book of life. Now, I grew up not particularly religious. I didn't have any real strong affinity, didn't, didn't have anything against religion as such, but didn't know Christianity and really just kind of wandered without paying an awful lot of attention to any of that stuff because life was too important to pay attention to religious stuff. And so, but every once in a while I wondered and I said, you know what, how do you, how do you know for sure that your name is in heaven and so on? And I just, I just wanted to know that. Well, then one day, I think my mother was reading the Bible, and she pointed out that my name was in the Bible. Uh, Robbie preached on that this morning he, in one of, his, uh, one of his chapters that he was talking about. And I saw the name there in Acts chapter 10 and 11. It said Cornelius. 
I said, that's me. That's how I thought when I was a kid. That's me. My name is in the Bible. Wow. Well, then every Jacob, and let me see, who else? Are there any Isaacs here? Any Abes? Oh, there's an Isaac there. Okay, any Abes here? Got lots of Abrams here. Uh, there's a James there. You got it. Um, let's see. Um, I, I don't want to make anybody feel badly. Your name is there. Jason is found in Acts. Okay, now. Hmm? There's a Peter. Okay. David and John. Okay, help me. This is really fantastic. All these names are in the book of life. Anna. John. All right. David. Now, you, you, you just, just, okay, all nonsense aside. But that's how your mind may think. And that's how maybe the mind of the unsaved people thinks. That maybe if this and this, then my name might be there. Well, uh, it gave me, actually gave me comfort to know that Cornelius was in the Bible. And after that, I could never find it again until later when I became a Christian and read the Bible. And I said, yep, it's there. But the truth is that my name is in the book of life. And I am not sure that it's going to be Cornelius. It's going to be maybe. Uh, I don't know what he's going to call me up there. Whatever he calls me will be just fine. One guarantee I have, one guarantee you have, if your name is written in blood, it will never be wiped out. I will not, he said. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. If you look at Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8, we read that all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. This is the Antichrist. We're going to be talking about the Antichrist when it comes to Revelation chapter 13 and some other chapters, because he does play a major role in the book of the Revelation in the future. But in chapter 8, we see him as one who is being worshipped by mankind, or as Justin Trudeau likes it, people kind. But we have this idea here. All that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, and watch this, whose names are not written in the book of life, of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, I don't want to deal with a lot of technical stuff here. I just want to mention to you that there's a big difference between your name written in the book before the foundation of the world or the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. A huge difference there. And what we see here is that those whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb. It was a Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. How can this be? Well, remember this, that God is in one eternal present. You and I cannot possibly understand that. But with God, there isn't past, present, and future. With God, everything is a picture, a whole in its completed entirety. And so that's a really complicated idea. But you notice here that it's not saying here that whose names were written back then. Some people have the idea that every name is written down back there in the beginning of time. And then as time unfolds, 
it becomes obvious as to whose name is there and so on. But that's not quite how it works. The, the slain from the foundation of the world is the Lamb of God. The names written in the book of life are those names who are added to the book of life as they become alive. And so we have people that come to know the Lord and we see them here. Now there's another verse in Revelation that kind of you wonder about, but I'm going to just read that for you in a little bit. Chapter 17, verse 8. The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into the perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not yet or is not yet is. So here we have the names that were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world so that the one does not contradict the other. The first one sets the idea. The second one describes that our names need to be there and that those whose names are not in the book will worship the Antichrist. Uh, you see, for people who think that if they miss the rapture, no big deal, <clears throat> I'll just call on the Lord then and I'll get things right once the tribulation whirlwind starts. And I'll just turn to Christ because then I'll know for sure that I need to turn to him if I'm going to. Let me say this. You won't. Nobody, nobody will. There will be tons of people saved in the tribulation. And we'll talk about that too, but not tonight. But the ones who will be saved will not be the ones who heard the gospel invitation. It'll not be the ones who heard the Bible taught. It'll not be the ones who rejected Christ in this world. It'll be completely different. It'll be a people that will be unknown to the gospel, unknown to the scriptures, and will hear it, and they will respond to it, but not because they reject it, and now they're going to be changing their minds. That's not, there's no second chance for the tribulation. So these people whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, who are in the tribulation, who have obviously down through the years have rejected the gospel message, they will worship the beast. They'll do so gladly. They'll, they, they won't have to be forced into it. It'll just be a natural thing. It'll be kind of like, yeah, if we don't worship him, we won't get our stamps or we won't get our food supply or we won't sell any product and so on. And we'll see that in chapter 13. But here we see them who are worshiping the beast. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. Did you notice this verse? It tells us that the books will be open. Books, plural, will be open. But there is another book that is opened up, and that is the book of life. So we've got two sets of books here that are being opened up in the time when this world changes happen and Christians have gone to be with the Lord and the church age is over and the tribulation period has begun, which is a full seven years of tribulation from milder to extreme uh, issues such as the battle of Armageddon that will happen at the end of the tribulation period. But we notice here in heaven is that John sees that when the worthy one was taking the book, he had looked upon it, he had opened it, he said, I see the books, and he said, I see that there are many books, but it's also very significant that the book of life will be opened up at that time. Why do you think that might be? 
I think it's because in the program of God and in the mind of God, absolute justice needs to be proven. Uh, God doesn't owe us anything. He owes us no explanation, but God will gladly do so. So as he opens up the books, the records of mankind, records of activity, records of things that have taken place on earth, he shows to these people, look what your life is like. He said, your life is a life of ruin. Your life is a life of wickedness. Your life is a life of maybe more immorality, maybe maliciousness, maybe a life of hatred, a life of strife, a life of division, a life that really didn't add up to anything that would bring honor and glory to God. So he shows the dark side. He shows the absolute dark picture, the records that are shown at that time. But then for you and for me, who have had the wonderful promise that I will not blot your name out of the book of life, he opens it up so that Mr. Malicious, Mr. Immorality, Mr. Vindictiveness can look over there and he can say, I see that name is in the book of life. I see that that name is in the records and that he has given that person life eternal. And so when, when these people see that you and I are safe in the hands of Jesus and safe forever to be with him, they will then realize the cutting line and the dividing line. And what is it? The cutting line, the dividing line is this. There will be some people that will go into damnation because they rejected Jesus Christ. And there will be others who will go into eternal heaven and eternal life because they received Christ. That's the cutting line. There is no other way. There ain't any such thing as, well, I was better than you were. Or I did more than you did. So therefore, I'm going to be on the Lord. This, it's, not a, it's not a matter of of merits or demerits. It's, it's, an, it's an absolute assurance that comes as our names are written in the Lamb's book of life and that book of life is opened when that judgment time comes and it'll show complete and absolute justice. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their work. So <clears throat> whether you believe or not, the Bible does indicate that there is a level of judgment, a level of torment that'll happen. The young boy that might have just reached an early age of accountability and a young girl that might have just reached an early age of her accountability, they might do some mischievous things, they might do some things that young people do. You put that life up and put that life up against Joseph Stalin or put that life up against Adolf Hitler and I'll tell you there's going to be a difference of judgment that'll take place. Let me assure you of this, that the judgment of hell is not gonna be pleasant for anybody, no matter what. But I do believe that there will be a more severe judgment for those who have outwardly and deliberately sought to destroy God's work on earth. Those who have gone against everything righteous, it's gonna be much more severe for them but then I look back and I say, the eternal hellfire, the eternal condemnation is not going to be good for anyone, even though there are levels of judgment.
So when people reject the gospel, say, well, I can't believe in a God who's going to judge these poor innocent people. Let me say this to you. There's nothing innocent about anybody. We've all been depraved. We've all fallen into the sin of Adam, every last one of us. And every last one of us needed to be redeemed by the same blood that would write our name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And if you're there, you're there. If you're not there, you should be there. That's just really what it's all about. Well, let me go on. And whosoever was not found written in the Book of Life was cast into the lake of fire. Do you imagine that maybe when people stand up and the books are opened up and, uh, and, and, and the lost, lost soul is standing in then in contrition, then he's bowing the knee, and then he is saying, Lord, you are the Lord God. Uh, can you imagine how a loving God and a righteous God will take the book from A to Z and will look at it, this person, whatever his name is, and just run his fingers through the pages of the book, flip the pages and flip the pages and say, I don't find your name here. Your name is not written in the book of life. Oh, I don't know how to describe it. I don't know what to say about that. There isn't any way that that person at that time will be able to say, but, but, but can you write it in now? Everyone would be willing to have it written in there at that point. Everyone would say, if it's possible, get me into that book now. You know what? It's possible tonight. You can get it into that book, and it'll be there. Uh, so the book will be checked. The book of life will be open, and whosoever was not found there. So God says, okay, you're done. It's finished. You are gone forever and forever. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 10 and verse number 20 to his disciples, notwithstanding, as the disciples came and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. And they were rejoicing that they had power over hell. What a great thing that would be. But he said, don't rejoice in this. Don't rejoice in your successes. Don't rejoice in your accomplishments. But he said, rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Why should you be happy tonight? Why should you be exuberant tonight? Why should you have a positive testimony tonight? Because your name is in heaven. That's why. We don't need. Now, we like a lot of other things to help with our happiness. But when it comes right down to it, we need Jesus only. And we need him. That's what we need to have to complete life. To make us whole. To make us rejoice and to make us say, I can win over the losses in this world. I can win over the things of this life because in Jesus Christ, I have all of the heavenly blessings. I have far more than I can ever imagine. He is my all in all. Rejoice in this, that your name is in heaven. Go home tonight. Forget about the blues. Go home tonight, forget about those horrible bills. Go home tonight and forget about the fact that the tax day is coming again. And say, my hope is not in all these things. My hope is in the fact that my name is in heaven. It's in those books. 
Look at the books of Revelation 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book, which was the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those according to their works. And then there is a third set of books. So we've got the book of life, we've got the book of records, we've got, we've got these books based, and, and all of the judgment of God will be based upon that which is in these books. And uh, what a joy to those who will have the words, enter thou into the joy of the Lord when that day comes. But in the beginning of Revelation chapter 5, we have the seven sealed book. And that book is rather intriguing because John wept and he said, I'm looking through heaven, I'm looking through everyone, and, and I just don't know who is qualified and it seemed like no one could even look upon this book. No one could open it. Now, the books that he's talking about is not exactly the same as what we have. It's not exactly like paper bound into a cover like this. It was rather a scroll, and these scrolls were sealed up, and the seal meant that no one was qualified to open that book unless they had authority to open up the seal so the book and the scroll could be unrolled. And so John said, I, I just don't see anybody qualified. And then the angel comes. Uh, he says, John, don't cry. He said, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he has prevailed. He is the one that can not only look upon the book, he can take and open the book and he can unravel everything that is in that book. Do you know why this last book of the Bible is called the Revelation of Jesus Christ? Because it was he who was the lion of the tribe of Judah. And it was he only that was qualified to open up this marvelous book. Could I say, how, how, many, how many Bibles do we have here tonight? Could you... I know I'm making it really easy for you by doing this on the screen, but I'm glad to see all these Bibles. Keep bringing them because every once in a while we pull one on you, we don't have it on the screen. So you need to be able to follow, all right? So, so keep reading your Bible, keep studying your Bible and so on. But I just want you to know, so many people are so scared of the book of the Revelation. They will not read it. There are so many people who will not dare to preach on it. I, in my earlier years of ministry, I had more pastors say to me than I can remember, I would never preach on the book of the Revelation because there's no way to understand that book. And do you ever hear this? There's half a dozen of you that have heard that. Okay, some of you are waking up now. All right. Uh, the truth is that the book was laid out and it was revealed. The book was laid out by the one who was authorized and had the authority to open it up and to lay it out, to lay it bare so that we could know what it is that God has in mind for the world. And so we have the seven sealed book. Some of you have seen the Clarence Larkin's charts, and I just want to take a few minutes just to show you the seven sealed book. And I'm not going to take a lot of time because Chile is waiting. 
I know some of your stomachs are growling already. But I just want us to go over and I just want us to look at, if you go right to the extreme left side of the screen, for those of you who are actually close enough to be able to see that, you have the seven seals. You have the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, the pale horse. You have the souls of the martyrs. You have the physical uh, changes that take place. You have the interval that takes place. And then you have the silence. These are the seven seals. Now, in that seventh seal, okay, the way that these books work in the book of the Revelation, you've got six that open up, and then the seventh opens up. And within that seventh, more stuff opens up. So it's kind of a scroll within a scroll within a scroll. So what happens then is you have a second set of scrolls that open up within the first part, that overall cover of the book, and then you have a second part that opens up, and you've got the seven trumpets. And so you've got the seven trumpets that begin to reveal the calamities that will take place on earth. You've got, you've got this unbelievable hail that will come down. You'll have this unbelievable burning that happens. You'll have the wormwood that will come down. You'll have the sun smitten. Uh, you'll have uh, you'll have climate change bona fide. Now we've got climate change political, but then there'll be climate change. There'll be some horrific things that'll happen. So much so that men are going to say, "Look, I'm about to burn up to death, but I can't burn to death," and uh, God will torture them for a number of months in unbelievable heat. So that's coming. We're going to describe that when we come to it. And then you have the, uh, within that, you have the seven personages. And then following that, you've got the final unfolding of the three books that are within that one book. You've got the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven personages that are part of that. Then you've got the seven vials or the seven bowls, and that is the climax of the time of the tribulation. So this was the seven sealed book that opens up and unfolds so that people are able to know the judgments that will come. Who are these judgments for? Well, let me say this. First of all, they're for Israel. They're for Israel. Uh, there are some interesting things happening with Israel even now. Some of you may have heard that last week they shot down a drone that had uh, flown into the Israeli airspace. This happened to be an Iranian drone. This is extremely significant because now you've got one of the big players that's going to come and seek to fight Israel. You've already got them beginning to act. And by sending their drone into Israeli airspace, they are actually saying, we are checking up on you. We're seeing where you are. And the Israelis showed them where they were because they blew it out of the sky. However, they didn't stop there. They went then into Syria, into Iranian stations, and they took out seven stations in Syria that were specifically set up by Iran for the purpose of spying on and having equipment ready to blast the nation of Israel. Their plan is to destroy Israel. The uh, war with Russia that we will be talking about eventually, that coming war with Russia is going to be a coalition of Russia and a number of others with Iran as one of the key players. So we know that it is constantly on the alert and seeking to know where Israel is. 
Are they capable? And today, Benjamin Netanyahu said to the representative of the Iranian uh, country, and he said to them, don't test Israel because he said we will attack. In fact, today he said that we will attack not only Hezbollah and the Syrian regime who are proxies of Iran, but we will actually come in and we will attack Iran. Well, we know Iran's going to exist in the tribulation. We know it's going to come. It's going to war against Israel, so we know that's all going to happen. But there's some very major things that are taking place tonight. As we sit here and study the Word of God, big things are happening in the nations. Threats are there, and, and these things are happening. So the first thing that I want to say to you is that Israel, though God has brought them back initially, and it's interesting that they do come back by by the hundreds and yet in some cases by the thousands and of course there are many millions there now but they've been going back and they keep going back and they keep finding people that are in fact of certain tribes of the 12 tribes and we saw that last Wednesday night at our Bible study so so we see that happening but they all come back in unbelief they come to worship the old stuff that does not reveal Jesus Christ and so they're in darkness and they're under the condemnation of death. And until they recognize the King of kings and Lord of lords, they will always be under his judgment. And so it will be upon Israel. But guess what? The judgment will not be for Israel alone because the world is a world of absolute unbelief and denial and rejection of God and his righteousness. And so the world comes under the wrath of God in the time of the tribulation so that the nations of the world Every last remaining nation in the world besides Israel will feel the thunderous events that take place in the time of the seven-year tribulation. Not a happy time to be here. In fact, I'm not going to be here. And you don't want to be here. For those of you who don't believe in any kind of a rapture, what are you going to do when the wrath of God comes upon mankind? You're going to ask the rocks to fall on you and they won't fall on you. You're going to ask for all kinds of protection and it's not going to come. And you say, but see, I told everybody there was no rapture. Well, I'll tell you one thing. If you're a believer, you're gone and you won't even know about that. The only way you'll know about the tribulation is that if you read the scriptures and you know what's going to happen. These are the books. There's something more in heaven and I'm going to have to be much, much shorter on these. And that is, we have heaven's lamb in verses 6 through 8 in Revelation chapter 5. We see two significant truths that are seen in verses 6 down through verse number 8. And the first one is the lamb, the redeemer. And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts or the creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. You see, these creatures and personages that are in heaven, they realize that something really big is about to happen. And they understand it. So we must be careful about how we read the book of the Revelation. We must be careful how we interpret end events. Because there's nothing pretty about after the church age. Not for the next seven years. It's, it's just nothing but devastation. There's only negative. But what we find here 
is that a lamb that had been slain. What was that? Do you remember 2,000 years ago? Remember reading about it, obviously, and hearing about it many times over. But do you remember 2,000 years ago, there was a voice in the wilderness that stood up one day and he said to the people, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. When Jesus Christ came into the world, he came specifically to die for you and for me. He came to give his life so that we might have salvation. He came so that he could wipe out our sins. He came so he could give us a clear spot in the book of life. He came so he could give us a clear, clear spot in heaven by writing our names in heaven. That's what Jesus came to do. And we must not miss that. That is the most significant. And John sees the lamb as the redeemer. He also sees the lamb as the judge in verses 7 and 8. Because not only is he going to redeem mankind, but he will also judge those who do not submit to his authority. The judgment of God, folks, that will come upon people in the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation, at the end of the age, is not because this person did a little bit wrong. It's not because this person did a big thing wrong or not because this person didn't get his act together in life and so on. It's going to be because we either did or didn't receive Christ. That's really what it's about. It's because we're either saved or not. That's really what it's all about. And if the saved get that entrance into glory, but the unsaved, those who do, they will come under the wrath of the Lamb who says, because you had no need for me, that's why I cannot give you a place now. Because you didn't take time for me, I cannot give you a place now. Because you rejected life, you rejected eternality, you rejected the offer of salvation for Christ, so therefore you have no place in heaven. No hope at all outside of Christ. None. Zero. So when somebody says, but I've done so many good things, maybe, uh-uh, nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's either you're saved or you're lost. You're either born again or you're not. You're headed for heaven or you're not. Your name is there or it is not there. It's just, it's just so plain. It's just so simple. He who is my redeemer will also become the judge of those who don't need him and those who don't want him. What a horrible thought. But as my redeemer, I have nothing to fear. Because he loves his redeemed children. He protects his redeemed children. There's no judgment, no wrath, no condemnation coming upon the redeemed. But there's plenty of that coming for the unredeemed. Look at heaven's song. We see it in verses 9 through 14. Uh, just have a look at that. In verse number 9, we read this. And they sung a new song. Well, our choir gets together once in a while, sing a new song, so we have all kinds of hiccups and different things to work notes out and to work timing out and to work all kinds of things out to make it sound harmonious. And it's nice to learn new songs, but I can tell you what, the best choirs in all the world will not have heard these songs. Can't even imagine what they are. But they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people 
and nations. Chapter 14, verse 3, he's talking about the 144,000. We'll, we'll explain those to you as well, but not tonight. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. Revelation 15, 3, and they sing the song of Moses. You know what? That tells me that Israel will be redeemed because the song of Moses was not sung since the crossing of the Red Sea when they sang the song of Moses at that time. And now we have the song of Moses coming up. That's Israel. That's at the end of the tribulation. The servant of God and the song of the Lamb. So it'll be a combination of what Christ has done, how God delivered Israel, how he will deliver Israel. Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. I want you to notice that this is a song of mediation. It's all about the fact that Christ made it possible for us to become one with God. It's all about us being welcomed into the family of God. It's all about his work on our behalf to bring us to the Lord and to ultimately give us that home in heaven. It is a song of promise. Um, I said I would be brief and I'm going to be, but I will probably come back to verse 10 at other times. But I want you to see the promise in verse 10. Are your eyes focused? Look at this. And has made us unto our God kings and priests. And read it with me, please, the latter part of verse 10. And we... <laughs> Did you see that? We will reign on the earth. When? When... The Lord of lords and King of kings, the Holy One, has finished all of his dirty, filthy stuff he has to take care of here in the world. He comes and he establishes his pristine kingdom, which is a thousand-year period, literally, not figuratively, not metaphorically, 1,000 years and in that 1,000 years, if you have your name in the Lamb's book of life, you will reign with him. I tell you what, what partnership that's going to be. With, with the one who can't make a mistake, with the one who can't miss any judgment, with the one who can't make any failures, the one incapable of failing and I get to reign with him and he gives me responsibility and he tells me go do this go do that go do that I'm sort of thinking that he's going to give me Elmer to reign over because I mean for some reason or other I just keep coming back to Elmer so that that may be I don't know but I'm good with wherever just be happy that I get the chance to reign with him. Hey, for those who deny the millennium, for those who deny the reigning on the earth, go to verse 10. Go to verse 10. And there are tons of others, and we'll show you more. But we see this here tonight. There's a song of promise. 
There's the song of exaltation in verses 11 down through 14. And it's here that we have these voices just coming up. And the book of the Revelation says that there are going to be 10,000 times 10,000 plus thousands of thousands. You can imagine a choir of millions of voices. Heaven is going to be lit up with sound with everyone who has come to know the Lord Jesus. And I don't know if I'm going to be part of that choir, even if I just get to hear it. That's all that really matters. What a great thing in heaven. Things in heaven. I'm going, how about you? Have you decided that heaven is your home? Have you decided that Jesus is your Savior? We hear he is the Savior, but have you decided that he is your Savior? Have you come to him in humbleness of heart and humbleness of mind? Have you come to him and said, Lord, I have broken every one of your laws. I'm a sinner lost undone. I need Jesus to wash me clean. Have you done it? Is Jesus your Savior? If not, I ask you tonight, I don't know that we're here next week. We don't know when he'll take us home. We don't know. We expect to be here next week, but I couldn't guarantee it. I do know this. You have this one time. This is what you've got. This is all the promise you have is this moment to come to Christ. If you have not yet. Would you make that decision tonight? Would you come to Christ tonight? Would you say to him, Lord, I'm done fighting, I'm done struggling, I'm done wondering. I just want to have Christ in my life. Let's bow our heads. Thank you for listening today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you found this podcast. Please subscribe and share with your friends. To hear more messages or to learn about how to visit our services, visit openbible.ca. And once again, thank you for visiting us today.